ladies and gentlemen, go aloud. It is 9.03pm on Thursday the 13th of February 2020. You're listening to Burn FM and this is the Goals Allowed Football Show. My name is Jake Sandy and this week we've got the band back together as I'm joined in the studio by both Danny Todgers and Jules Singh. I'm good to be back. Yeah, it's me again. Uh, so this week we'll go into our question of the week. It what is, uh, if we were a band, what instruments would we all play? No, it's, it's not really. That would be, oh, be a very <laughs> weird question. No, this week I thought because there wasn't a lot of football at the weekend due to the storm, whose name I've forgotten. Uh, Kira. Yeah, Kira. Don Kira. Uh, football fans had to find something else to amuse themselves. And I personally did. And I was wondering what your sort of football recommendation is. So something you've been enjoying recently to do with football, maybe a podcast or something that you want to mention that you think is good? I'll go uh, if, right, yeah, I go did, first. I did sort of spring this on you, so I'll go first. Uh, I've been listening to a podcast recently called "The Price of Football," which is by a guy called Kevin Maguire, who is he's got a quite high-profile high Twitter account that's called "The Price of Football," and he is a lecturer at the University of Liverpool in uh, business, but he sort of focuses mostly on football. And it's basically him and a comedian called Kevin Day who just discuss the sort of money in the game. So they talk about like when Chelsea released their accounts a few weeks ago he sort of broke it down and l- spoke about how they sort of well what the losses they've been making are and how the club's books are looking in terms of uh, Roman Abramovich's continued investment into the club so that's what I have been listening to recently and been quite enjoying so I recommend if that does sound something like something anyone's interested in I definitely recommend checking it out Yes, uh, I think I'll go down the podcast route as well uh, I really like listening to The Greatest Game with Jamie Carragher um, it's my go-to in the gym. He just invites um, ex-pros on to uh, talk about the greatest game of football. He's invited on people like Paul Merson, uh, Stephen Gerrard, uh, Michael Owen. I think on well, podcasts as well. I feel like it's the same. We've all got the same theme going on. Um, l- actually, this week I've just been like binging loads of podcasts. I think the Telegraph do a good one, and the Guardian do a good one. But my favourite one is the Bleacher Report uh, football rank. That's a good one. It's just like just, just guys on my f- like kind of more Europe. They talk about British football and European football, so it's that nice blend. Whereas some other podcasts just talk about British football, which is fun, but sometimes it's quite nice to look at the continent and see what's going on there. And I've also been playing a lot of Football Manager twenty twenty, so which is uh, not going as well in my career mode. But it's it's gone better than it was. But I, I did get just sign a great young up and coming player from Barcelona or Madrid. So it's the best tactic. That you can was have. the issue. I was like, I thought. I had to start a new one because basically I started with Swansea, and they, when I have when I mean they have no money, they have no money. You can't even get anyone on free agent because you have to like sign on a bonus fee or whatever. You can't even do that, and you can't bring anyone in on loan, so you have no money whatsoever. And eventually I got sacked because basically my players just got like kept getting injured or too many yellow cards, and I was just like, so I had to start again with Saint Etienne. Yeah, my housemate, two of my houses were playing yesterday on one of their iPads, and he was went from Bolton to West Ham, which I called the Sam Aldice route. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously very f- made famous by the man himself, Big Sam. So uh, you did mention when you were speaking about the Bleach Report one that one thing you like about it is that they focus on European football, which is handy because up next we'll be speaking a bit about next weekend's Champions League. Next week, sorry, Champions League games. There's a nice segue there. So. I'm so glad it's back. It's been too long. I'm yeah. My husband keeps asking me when it's on. I'm, I just, I, I'm like, it's February. I just don't know when it's February. I, I thought it was last week. And I was like, really looking forward to it, and looked at it like, oh no, it's t- still two weeks away. I, I was thinking this week, so I just I was a week off. I was I was thinking it must be this week because it's been a while since some Champions League football's been on. 
mean, regular listeners to the show will know that uh, before we left for the uh, Christmas vacation, we actually did a bonus podcast live on air about the Champions League, which was subsequently lost. So, unfortunately, people haven't had a chance to hear our opinions, so we will sort of revisit it now. And firstly, we'll take a look at Atletico Madrid versus Liverpool, which is on Tuesday of next week. So, the main thing I sort of thought when I saw this game was that this must surely be the reason that Jurgen Klopp was incredibly hesitant to play that FA Cup game with Shrewsbury, would you say? Um, yeah, I think I think that amongst fixture congestion generally gave justification for for Klopp resting um, uh, the team against, against with the replay, but also the, also because of the whole like politics of the winter break and the FA debacle as well. Yeah, the FA and the Premier League haven't really organised the winter break quite efficiently compared to other leagues in Europe. But um, yeah, I'd have to agree. Kind of, I think obviously Atletico Madrid is a much better team than Shrewsbury, so it's kind of, and it's. I know there's a lot of criticism, but it's quite. I think it's quite good that you give the youngsters a bit of run out. I guess maybe that many youngsters, but I think this is probably what he's gearing up for. I'm not sure if they'll win the Champions League, but obviously as a team, that's the, the current holders of it. You don't want really to go out in the first round. Mm-hmm. While Atletico Madrid are a good team, Liverpool are much better than them at the moment. Yeah, I was actually doing some research of, ahead of this where I looked at it, and currently uh, Madrid are in fourth place in La Liga with 23 goals for and 15 goals against, which neither are particularly... Well, the 23 goals for was quite surprising given that they did sign Jao Felix in the summer for quite a lot of money, and I think it showed that the injuries that he's had have really held them back in the final third of the pitch. Yeah, there's... Because Atletico Madrid, the attacking... Defensively, they're probably are, they're probably one of the best top five, maybe top three defensive teams in Europe. It, so that's what Simeone's kind of built his brand on his very organised defensive football. Um, it's just it is the issue of scoring goals. I think that was the one big issue with Griezmann going was that he you knew you were going to lose twenty goals a season, and even with it, even with goals, they kind of like they just they there's something they they bought Morata or they they got Morata on loan, I believe. Uh, yes, there's a loan with an yeah. obligation to buy, I believe. And he did well at first. Kind of similar story to Chelsea, did well at first, then goals dried up. They bought Costa back, hasn't really gone off the mark. That is probably the best piece of business Chelsea have done yeah. in years, selling him, because he has been utterly atrocious. And he's now injured, he's out for the whole season now as well. I like two oh, wow. goals in like nearly 30 games, or something re- like a really bad stat, and this is like Diego Costa now. Um, Joe Felix, obviously, they spent 100 million on him. Um, other strikers they've bought over the years. I don't know if you remember Jackson Martinez for Porto. I remember. He, they, he was another Colombian who I think replaced Falcao mm-hmm. and he scored like 30 goals in, for Porto. They snapped him up. Not scored anything. They actually sent him off to China. I know Thomas Lamar's a winger, but they've said that he's had no assists, no goals since he's gone there. Uh, they've had Kevin Gamiro, Carrera, a few other strikers. Yannick Carrasco. Yeah, Yannick Carrasco. They got him back actually yeah, as well. Have. So it's kind of like they, they sign all these people, but I don't know if it's just. One of the criticisms I've heard, or points I've heard, is that because Simeone is such a defensive manager, that the system is just not very good at going forward. Yeah. So if you get as good as a striker that up front, but it's just nothing's going to benefit them. I think Kieran Tripp is um, going to be injured for for this position yeah. fixture as well. He's been pretty good out there, from what I've heard. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. I think that the fact that performance in the league this year hasn't been quite what people are expecting. I think, obviously. Madrid have been a sort of a slightly weird club given that they had three managers last season and obviously with Zidane coming back um, 
Barcelona have been in a bit of disarray themselves with Valverde leaving in sort of acrimonious circumstances and Kike Setien not exactly setting the world light in his first few games there. There's and a lot of drama recently as well. Yeah, the drama behind the scenes. I think me and Jules were talking about beforehand about uh, the sporting director Eric Abadal and comments he made that Messi in particular took umbrage with. So I think there was a lot of thought that this could be a season like in... Was it four or five years ago that Atletico Madrid actually managed to win La Liga? Um, it, maybe in 2013, 14, 2014, 15. It was around that time, yeah. You're, you're not far. Around yeah. that time they got to the final as well, didn't they? Yeah, they lost to Real Madrid. It, I think that was with the Ca- Carlo Angelotti was uh, one of them. Because mm-hmm. another thing going to the season, because you mentioned at the top end of the pitch what's uh, happened, but sort of at the back end of the pitch, if you see that Gabby and Godin and Felipe Luis all left in the summer, who are very sort of key figures in that team, especially uh, Gabby. I think it was Simeone said, said in interviews that he was sort of the leader on the pitch, and that he, instead of uh, Simeone like, barking instructions, he'd be t- talking to Gabby, and then Gabby would be sort of interpreting in a way to articulate them to the players. And I think without him, that team maybe doesn't function as well, so that's maybe something they have to address, and perhaps given that it's only been what, like six months since the start of this, maybe it's just not had time to click yet. So I think this definitely could be one that Liverpool would be looking forward to. But do you think that it is possible for them to retain the Champions League this season? Obviously, we've seen Real Madrid do it three, uh, well, three back-to-back Champions Leagues a few years ago. But do you think that they could do it, possibly? I mean, it's 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 hard to difficult uh, to, hard to justify that they're the favourites because at the start of the season, everyone was raving on about Man City being the favourites to to finally win it this season but if you look at how it's gone for Liverpool this season being um, on form the best the best team in Europe and well, thanks to Club World Cup the the world um, you, you, you'd certainly think that bar um, a, a bad away performance it's, 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 it's very very likely that, that Liverpool Will win it again this season. I made this. I made this statement in the in the bonus podcast that we did that that uh, got lost. But I'll say it on a now again. I think we're going to win it again this year. It's a it, it's an odd one because Liverpool are by far the, on paper I'd say the best team in Europe. Um, and the issue I think what I would disagree in that they may not win it is that the prime. I know we've talked about Real Madrid kind of win it three times in a row, but I think Real Madrid had. They, they didn't win the league as well and they kind of finished second at Barcelona I think they only won the league once in that time and I would I would say La Liga is not as maybe at the top end was better at the time but overall it wasn't as competitive as like, the Premier League and the Bundesliga well the Bundesliga last year and this year but so um, so I feel like Liverpool, and the amount of competitions Liverpool are in is like the, they were in the League Cup the FA Cup the uh, Club World Cup the Champions League like, and they've got deep into these tournaments tournaments and competition so it's I think just fitness and squad rotation that is the hard bit um, and also the other thing is that I just we saw in the group stage in the chat they did lose to like Napoli and they did kind of they didn't look as formidable as they did in the league there was I don't know if it was just because maybe they took it with a bit of uh, not as serious as the league maybe because I think at that at the beginning of the season it was both Man City and Liverpool were neck and neck but I mean, you could you could say that that happened last season as well I mean in the group stage of the Champions League we didn't actually win an away game we lost to Napoli we lost to Salzburg and um, there's a third team yeah PSG we didn't we didn't we lost to PSG away from home 
as well, and yet we still managed to to win the whole thing. You really sorry, uh, sorry, Karen. No, go for it. You, you really highlighted the factor that I think will be significant is Anfield and European nights. Anfield are legendary, obviously, given what has happened there in the past, and ultimately, given like for example this game, unless they took an absolute hiding in this game away, I couldn't see them not being able to win at Anfield. There's just something about there and that gives isn't it because obviously it's, there's no magic that happens obviously it's more of a psychological thing and the fact that they just all the players believe they can win there it's like there's some what's the stat like Mo Salah's like never lost to Anfield or something yeah something like that yeah. like there's Sadio never lost at them. yeah I think Salah that's never lost when he scored or something like that there are just so many like factors like that that I can't look beyond them and maybe they'll get to the final and lose possibly given that that obviously won't be Anfield but I think they definitely would have a big chance of going very deep into this competition if not getting to the final again but one thing or one team that I hope don't get to the final again as last year watching them almost win it was a bit bit nail biting for me given that I'm a Chelsea fan it is Tottenham versus RB Leipzig the main talking point from this I think is how big of a game this is for Jose Mourinho uh, Chelsea previously well this decade not the previous decade uh, Man United a lot of criticism has been levelled at him and that he's not a forward thinking manager and coming up against Eugen, Julian Nagelsmann who retired from football at under 19 level because of a, knee in, a severe knee injury and then sort of works about the coaching ladder and is now coaching at RB Leipzig at the age of 32 is certainly someone who cannot be accused of having of old-fashioned views and this will be an incredibly exciting game from a tactical point of view to see whether Mourinho still got it do you think? It is a very youthless experience in that sense you've got a two times Champions League winner in uh, Jose Mourinho and Nagelsmann who is currently at the moment managing Leipzig who second in the Bundesliga by one point to uh, Bayern Munich I think it would be the first time in about seven years a team other than Bayern Munich could win it um, but then that's the fact where I feel like may go against the Leipzig is that I know teams shouldn't be throwing away games, let's say, but for Leipzig, there's more of a chance for them win to win the Bundesliga than them win the Champions League currently. Um, and I think Tottenham are in a, a situa- situation where they may get fourth. They're kind of in a race with United, Sheffield United, uh, Wolves and Chelsea and who's going to get that fourth position. Um, but really, as... like. This could be that they could just be like, right, let's just try and we might not in any competitions that or maybe I think it's something I think I'm trying to think of top of my head. Tottenham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they got through a replay, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's on. Um but I, I just feel like also th- this is one of the teams I think that they could be outside of Atlanta and Valencia. There's something about Leipzig, I don't know if it's just the circumstances of them being maybe more orientated on the league just because of how close they are to winning it for the first time in the club's history. Um I think that could maybe give Tottenham an edge. Yeah, I see what you're saying there about the reasons why RB Leipzig wouldn't be um, particularly invested in this competition given how close they are to uh, uh, Bundesliga title, which would obviously be historic for the club given that they don't really have a particularly large history given that well, it's the, the club that they're built around started in the fifth tier and then were acquired by the company behind Red Bull and then sort of work their way up to the league which is why they're sort of not liked very much in German football I think they'd also be maybe the first team in Eastern Europe to win the Bundesliga you know Eastern Germany I mean 
yeah. uh, because of obviously all the, uh, the East Communist Eastern Germany when they mm-hmm. unified. I think I would say, I don't think it hit to Berlin as one though. But if football in East East Germany is not very kind of as big as in West Germany because it's not as much money, so it's kind of a big thing in that sense that you've got an East German team. But yeah. Um, so one thing that I did think would maybe count against Tottenham was the fact that this is their uh, home leg at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And one of the big talking points last season was how important it is for them to go there and it being a brand new stadium and they've got the well, the stand that's sort of modelled on the yellow wall at uh, the West... It's modelled on the West Fowler Stadium, which is Borussia Dortmund Stadium. And it was put in specifically for atmosphere on big nights. But do you think that there might be an extra element of pressure in this game because they'll be hoping they can do something to get deeper in this competition else it may have been a bit of a waste of a year in that sense Tottenham are a weird one because I feel like with with Tottenham fans I mean we, we've had Amy on the show before who's, who's talked about, about Spurs um, in quite some detail and um, I feel like when Spurs concede at home which so far this season they have done quite a bit the atmosphere just goes really really quiet and dead where unlike some of the clubs where they are renowned for their atmosphere where if if they go a goal down the, the crowd will just get loud and really back their team and it'll really push them on to, to play more with Spurs I don't think maybe they need to grow into getting that sort of atmosphere but at the moment I'm just I'm just not seeing it I think yeah the new stadium is completely different to White Hart Lane in that White Hart Lane was a very old fashioned kind of close to the pitch uh like not really modern, it's kind of felt a bit rough around the edges. A bit of a nicer version of Upton Park, and that is quite close. And um, whereas, like you said, maybe they have to grow into an atmosphere, grow into the new stadium. Where I don't think they'd have the same issue that West Ham are having at the Olympic Stadium or London Stadium or the Queen Elizabeth Stadium or where it's called. In that, it's kind of the atmosphere which just feels very disconnected from the pitch. Um, but because I, I, why I feared them I, is that when it is going at Tottenham Stadium, it is quite. A great, like a brilliant atmosphere but it's obviously they've got to build it up a bit like what is that Anfield where it's just a very big occasion that everyone turns out for because it's a worry that you don't want to turn up like Arsenal's the Emirates where it's kind of the big stadium is not really that much of an atmosphere mm-hmm. Yeah just one note I would also make on this game is that incidentally Tottenham did actually beat German opposition at this stage of the competition last year they faced Borussia Dortmund and won 4-0 on aggregates including a 3-0 win at the old White Hart Lane so maybe there is a bit of precedent here. I don't it's know. It's quite weird. I think in that in the round of sixteen last year, three of the English teams ended up playing three German teams, and all ended up going through against them because um, Liverpool played Bayern, and Man City played Hoffenheim. Hoff- Hoffenheim potentially. Yeah, it was Schalke. Schalke. It was Schalke. 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 Schalke in the draw one of the same teams not know, this time though yeah, Sch- Schalke are always a team that I always associate with the uh, Champions League for some reason they always, always seem like it always seem like whenever I listened to the radio when I was younger when the Champions League was on it would always be that they'd be playing a game there might, might be the Arsenal the Bundesliga just always getting fourth something like that yeah they did get to the semi-final one year with it was do you remember well, obviously Raul the Real Madrid legend when he moved to Schalke he had about two or three years at Schalke and I think one year they did get to the semi-finals and no one expected it and they just were like oh this is quite good and then got hammered off the only other thing I know about Schalke is over the years they have lost a lot of players on, on free contracts yeah. as free agents Julian Draxler 
Julian Do they have about two years well, they, they, they sell um, him or is it, is it even a free? I'm not too sure I feel They like lost a lot of good players they Joel Matip yeah. um, oh, yeah. uh, The glider players for Crystal Palace Max Meyer Max Meyer Yeah and this is, like, this is more of like a Schalke tangent but it's a weird one because Max Meyer I thought he was going to go to a big club Not no disrespect to Crystal Palace he hasn't really done it at Crystal Palace anyway nah, it, well, I thought he was such a big from what I heard and read about him he was such a big talent and then he kind of did it was a big to go to like a top six top four to six team yeah. at least I, th- I think there were maybe concerns about his attitude I think in his, his wages in his, last, his wages in his last season at Schalke I think he'd basically been ostracised from the first team and wasn't really playing when he left which I think given that you wouldn't be very match fit if you hadn't played a lot, I think that may have be played into the sort of mind of people who are looking to sign him. They're also managed by David Wagner, ex-Huddlesfield uh, manager. Yeah, it's another sort of they are, yeah. interesting tangent. So, moving on from that, well, just quickly, another game that is on this week, next week, sorry, is At- Atalanta versus Valencia, which I think actually might be quite a good game, and I might watch that instead of the Tottenham one. I think that's the closest one in like, terms of skill. Yeah. And also, it kind of be like it's good for one of the teams because they get a bit further, they get a bit more money. Atalanta be quite fun to watch because they just they just score so many goals. I think in the Serie A they've scored sixty one goals, and which is like nearly ten more, or less more than anyone else. And also they've they've kind of built their way up without using much money. And like Valencia have got a good history and that they've won quite a bit and they've got to a Champions League final before. Um, I believe it was under Raf Benitez in the early two thousand. They won the league under him as well. Yeah. Whereas Atlanta haven't got that much of a history in comparison, mm-hmm. and they've just kind of come out of nowhere over the last two years, so it's just quite nice. I think it'd be nice to see them go through. I think also didn't they lose their first like three games in this year's Champions League? Yeah, one of the only teams to ever lose three and still qualify. So it was a really weird stat. They were in the same group as Man City, so they kind of and they're going to hiding by Man City. It could be out five nil. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, moving on from that, we will hop back from Europe and go back to the place we know and love. The Premier League, well, maybe a bit strong, but um, the, due to the storm, whose name I f- Storm Kira, I did remember it. Uh, there weren't that many good games this weekend, and not many particularly interesting ones. But one I did pick out because of how sort of monumentally different these two teams' recent form has been would be the three-one win Everton had over Crystal Palace at Goodison Park. So one thing. I did notice when I looked at the league was that Everton are now in seventh position, which surprised me because when Duncan Ferguson took over from Marco Silva, they are in 18th. So it just shows the job that Ancelotti's done. I swear we were talking about one time they could possibly be relegated. Well, yeah, yeah, we, this, maybe this maybe don't generous. talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure we never said that, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, it's interesting because you would expect that Carl Ancelotti would obviously have quite a big impact but given that Marco Silva's time ended in quite sort of acrimonious circumstances given that the players clearly weren't performing for him anymore do you, did you expect Carl Ancelotti to be able to turn it around this quickly? No just, uh, I just felt like Everton were not a sinking ship but they were one taken on water they just felt there were so many issues there um, I just didn't. I thought they at best get mid till finish. Not the fact that they probably are trying to push for a fifth now. Um, I think they've since he's taken he's taken over. Only Liverpool have won more points than Everton, which is mental to think of. And partially, I think it's because of Duncan Ferguson and Carnegie. I think just work well together. It's kind of like a yin and yang thing. You've just got some big Scottish man who's very seems like more rigid football as the way we saw under. He was very structured. He was going to work hard, and then you've got Carnegie, which kind of 
I guess, just he's a, one of the best managers of all time. One, the I think joint most Champions League, I believe. And it's just he wouldn't have put these two together. I think he's one of the most Champions Leagues with different clubs. He yeah, he's level with the Zidane, I think. Yeah, I think he won it with Real Madrid, AC Milan twice, maybe. Uh, or I could be wrong. No, I, I, he, definitely won, he definitely won it three different times. But I think he's the only person to win it three times with two different clubs. I think that's, that's probably true. Yeah, and it's just a weird mixing of these two. But was reading an article recently is that it kind of just works. I don't know why, but it just it just kind of does. And I, hopefully, it breaks the Everton curse where they're just like they're just Everton. Mm, one thing I was looking at uh, was the on the website I was looking at. It also had the details of the formation that the team was playing in the games that they won. And uh, Ancelotti has played basically four four two in basically all the games, which initially seemed quite interesting to me because it's not a formation that's associated with sort of the higher end of the Premier League these days. But I was listening to a podcast, they were talking about Ancelotti, and they were saying that in Italy he's not really regarded as a tactician. He's more regarded as someone who can elevate a player's potential. Mm-hmm. Well, he can get players playing a level that isn't what would be expected of them. Like, he's able to push people so they perform at the best of their ability. It's arguably what Klopp does, to be honest. I mean, he, Klopp's not really known for his tactical masterclasses. It's his whole team that does that. He's known for getting players like to play at the best of their ability. That's why I think why he's such a good competi- cup competition manager in that he's able to kind of get something inside from like kind of players just to be like you're better than they like go above and beyond of what they're actually capable of playing at Ancelotti yeah yeah. It's, um, weird. it's it was a weird one because they still ended up losing to Liverpool under 23s in the in the FA Cup when he when he first came in it was at Anfield as well and they played yeah. a pretty full strength team Quite I think it's, I think with him maybe he needed a bit more time I think obviously you get that new manager bounce sometimes the thing is it's, it's not really happen looking looking at the results though because yeah granted they beat Brighton 1-0 a few weeks ago to be fair but 1-1 draw with West Ham uh, a 2-2 draw with Newcastle that was that was awful they were 2-0 up at the 90th yeah. minute and then ended up drawing the game 2-2 that was a weird one looking at the scores there but yeah I think it's I don't know what it's going to be like in the transfer window in the summer whether he's going to because they've got an owner who can splash who's got deep pockets or or it's got. I think they've got an owner. I think the better way of saying they've got an owner who's ready to commit to the club. Yeah, I think that's obvious from the um, the new stadium plans they've yeah. got. It's clear that he's not just in it for the here and now. He's in what, it for the a long run type thing. Yeah, exactly. I think they want to maybe build towards what someone like ever well, Liverpool have done. Sorry, and sort of because Klopp didn't have an immediate impact in that they didn't win the league the next season, and he wasn't a coach who was considered to be like the most the biggest appointment in the world when he first came to Liverpool so maybe that is sort of what they're thinking of doing I think if he can get through the next four games which are looking quite difficult because it's Arsenal Man United Chelsea and then Liverpool when Liverpool can potentially win the league if he can get through that and not lose all of them then it's looking pretty good for for Everton but what you said about Carl Angelotti not really being known as a tactician per se and kind of more of a motivator kind of someone to get the teams fair up and in the times we need them to get players that perform better than they actually are what does that mean for Everton then in the league because the issue is that if you look at all the big the clubs he's been at recently it was uh, Bayern Munich mm-hmm. PSG mm-hmm. well no Real Madrid PSG I think before that was AC Milan before that was Juventus With Chelsea oh, Chelsea, in Chelsea there. Yeah. he's gone to like the 
pretty much any big club in Europe he's been at. Yeah, he's won domestic uh, trophies in every country he's managed in. Yeah, but then I feel like that. I think partially maybe that's because he's had really good players work around. But then I feel like when you go to Everton, when the league is so, there's at least three or four teams, five teams which are better than Everton. It's just I, I don't know what they, like. I guess obviously Everton would love to be in the top four, and that's what they're whole they're striving for, and they've and with the with the owner and the new stadium, and I've just talked about it, the recruitment they've they've brought in, but it's in a hard league to do it. So I, I understand like he's got the reputation of the cup manager, so maybe why would you bring him in now when you want to do well in the league? If that makes sense, kind of. Yeah, it's an interesting one. He obviously has won league titles before, but. For example, at PSG and Bayern Munich, they were such dominant forces in that league when he came in. Perhaps in sort of recent history, it's difficult to see his pedigree in a league that would be as challenging as the Premier League. Yeah. Like he won the league and cup double with Chelsea in 2010, I believe. But that was so long ago that maybe it's difficult to translate whatever happened since to what's going to happen now. But one interesting thing, well, one good thing for Ancelotti is that he has got Dominic Calvert-Lewin performing incredibly well. And I was just wondering whether you think that it's maybe too early to bring him into the England squad, given that he has got 11 goals this season in 24 appearances, which is a f- only a couple less than uh, Tammy Abraham. Looking at, the injury, other game, isn't looking at the injury crisis yeah. that England are having lately, the Southgate may, may have to consider him as an option. Like, who's not injury now? Is Fardy back from injury? He's back, but he's he's retired from international duty unless there is yeah. an injury crisis. And he's not been performing as well as he was. No, he's been pre-injury. off the ball for a few weeks. Kane is not may not be back until just before the tournament, so he he'll be forced to play yeah. if 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 he if he is if fit by. But like really, point. if I if you were going to tell me now which strikers would I take, it would probably be Kane, Calvert Lewin, Lewis, and Danny Ings, just because like I would take Vardy because Vardy has got that big player mentality just always seems to score against the big teams I mean when he scored like a flick on against Germany a few years ago it was on his debut wasn't it yeah yeah, it I, re- really I remember that good one. goal and I was like why you just do something for like how is he not how do you slip through all the scouting networks and yeah. then the way he was and he's only now playing for England so I would maybe consider Vardy it basically it depends on whether Ings or Vardy who ends up finishing the season stronger just because of the injury crisis you can't take Rashford because I think he's out for the rest of the season I believe is he or my goodness. Um, no, I think I think he's out for less time than Kane, mm. so he's. I just feel like potentially going to go. I, the only thing with Rashford though is I feel like he's better I'm on the left, arguably, because without without yeah. Rashford there, who's gonna who's gonna play on the left? You can play Sancho there. Yeah, and I just feel with Rashford is that I know he's got it's it's it's, it's an overplayed stereotype and it's kind of beating a dead horse in there. Almost a goal come from penalties, but like I just do feel like I. D- I there's something about Rashford. I don't think he's at, he's he's get he's got better season. There's no doubt about that. And also, tell me, wrong, is he out for the rest of the season? No, he's no, he's back. He's, he's, he's that back. So you yeah, got he like was, he was playing last weekend. Yeah. He was playing through pain, but it wasn't a, a. I think it was just a small injury. It wasn't like anything muscular. I don't think it really depends who finishes the season strongest. Because if you're going to take three strikers, at the moment it's Ings and who's the best performing out of them, and Carver Lewis, and the Kings are it's like a guaranteed. So it's just like. It's dependent on who the two others you're going to take. Yeah, so just finally on this game, I did want to briefly touch on Crystal Palace as they are on a horrendous run of form. They're three losses on the bounce and they're winless in six games, which stretches all the way back to Boxing Day, where they, unfortunately for you, Danny, beat West Ham, which isn't a real surprise. No, it's, it's just, yeah, it just but, happens. Yeah. So 
Do you think that maybe, given that it's been going very badly for over a month and a half now, it could be time to get rid of Roy Hodgson? Or do you think there's too much of a risk at this point of the season to get rid of someone who, if any, who probably does secure safety for them, given he is an incredibly good manager in terms of defensive shape and things like that, which are necessary to stay in the Premier League? I would say keep him till the end of the season. And there's talks about him leaving in the end of the season anyway. Um, I think they should do that. Just it's. I think if you get rid of him, it, it could like create more of an issue than it needs to be. So, cause I remember when he came in, it was just after Frank de Boer had been fired because they lost six games at the start of the season. Frank de Boer came in and they lost six games in a row. Then Roy Hodgson came in and the very next game they beat Chelsea. Yeah, and just. Because that, that's the danger, really. If you're a Crystal Palace fan, you're thinking if they do try and get someone more exotic, like a Frank de Boer type figure who wanted to bring in a passing style of play with players who blatantly couldn't do it, it would be. Re- re- it's not worth sacrificing your Premier League status to play more attractive football, I don't think, from their point of view. I was listening to a podcast that said that I think people it will only realise when Roy Hodgson retires in that he may go down as one of the best. English managers Brit- or British managers that there's been just because well he managed Inter Milan like, yeah. people forget about that because obviously people our age just remember him at well, primarily Euro 2016 when he lost to Iceland yeah and, and the time before that at Liverpool where they kind of but like he went to UA took fallen so, to a UA for they cup beat, final I believe they only they lost Atletico Madrid in the final but on the way they beat uh, Juventus 4-1 yeah it's one of those where like you think that well, to be fair, that was like what two thousand seven. That was just after the Calciopoli scandal when Juventus had been relegated to. Yeah, I mean, a few years after that, they just got back up and they yeah, were I mean, strong. It's, as they it's, not, it's not like them beating them now, but I mean, yeah. I, I definitely take your point. It definitely does seem like something that maybe would be worth looking back on when he does finally retire. I think it is the fact that the Iceland and Liverpool job, as well as the lack of overall silverware. But I think he, when, if he, when he retires one day, he's going to have a lot of respect on his name in that he's was a, at his best he was a quite a good manager but I just feel like he's kind of seen as when the old gardener if that makes sense there's actually quite a funny story about um, Roy Hodgson uh, there's a reason why Alan Party doesn't like him because uh, when Roy Hodgson managed in Sweden he learnt Swedish and when uh, Alan Party's wife is Swedish so when they met he was speak uh, Hodgson was speaking Swedish to Alan Party's wife and he thought that they were talking about him because he, <laughs> he couldn't understand them I swear that he also learnt, he knows like Italian or yeah probably because he, he, he's managed in Europe quite a few times. I swear he knows like he, he's multi uh, he's bilingual bilingual. What do you mean multilingual? He can speak like multilingual is a French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he speaks more than like at least three languages, which is quite impressive. But unfortunately, probably won't help Crystal Palace. Yeah, get any points I, in the Premier League. I doubt Swedish will help. I hear, po- I hear Pochettino is not is not up to much these days. Crystal Palace. If you're looking for someone more exotic. <laughs> so moving on from last week's action we will look ahead to this week's action and in fact tomorrow because it is some Friday night football Ooh, I forget it's Friday night football it Valentine's is. Day too guys Valentine's, Valentine's football and it is a very saucy match between <laughs> and Leicester City my local club uh, yeah so East Midlands Derby this one or is Wolves East Midlands uh, West Midlands it's a Midlands Derby Midlands Derby yeah uh, before we go on to the game I just want to very quickly ask are you a fan of Friday Night Football it's sort of a new thing that's come in this season I think the first one was the Norwich Liverpool game at the start of the season 
I think, was the first Friday Night Football in the Premier League. Friday Night Football has been done prior to this season. Yeah, it? it feels like it's been around a lot longer than it actually has, but I, I, know, I swear you're right. Man United-Leicester at the start of last season, that was, that was Friday Night Football. Oh, so maybe the last two seasons. Yeah. It's been the Championship, because Frank Lampard's first game as Derby County Manager was a Friday Night Football game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a weird one, because Friday Night... I kind of doing, don't like it, because like, Monday Night Football's good because it's the first day back and work or uni, and you just kind of are oh, footballing night, and then the weekend's always good in football. So you kind of having it on a Friday night is like the weeks extend, the weekends extend a bit because it's like oh right, football's on. It starts. It is quite good when, but then at the same time, it is. I don't know. It's an odd one because I think Friday nights make sense to have football, but then it just feels like it's football twenty four seven now. If that uh, was it, that Dave Mitchell and Roll uh, sketch oh, yeah, where yeah. he's like football in the day everywhere, and it just, it just feels like that. Yeah, I think the only saving grace for this one is that it's not on a Champions League or Europa League week. If it was, then that would be too much football. Yeah. Also, there was no Monday night football this week, so that sort of yeah, makes up for it. So. What's well, the winter? Oh, think, winter break. I think there's going to be Monday night football this week. There or is, next it's week. Chelsea. So there's Chelsea, going to, Man United. And then Champions League the next two nights as well. So that's Friday, did the Europa League really come back as well at the same time, presumably? It might be six days of football. Yeah, it's like this Friday's next yeah. Thursday, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's it. That's, uh, that's going to be. It's making up for the winter break, isn't it? Yeah, I think there may be a point where we may have found out when too much football is, how much too f- much football actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too fair. I think we'll probably. Uh, yeah, maybe. So looking at this game, uh, it's an interesting one, obviously, because Wolves and Leicester City are two of the sort of rising stars of the Premier League. If you like, they're the sort of teams that are considered to be the most likely to sort of break into the hegemony that the conventional top six have enjoyed for quite a lot of the Premier League. Obviously, you exclude uh, Sheffield United who have sort of come up this season and no one's sort of expecting to do this well, whereas Leicester City and Wolves last season were also sort of pushing up towards this end of the table. So, do you think that we can really draw anything from this game, or do you think the fact that Wolves are in the Europa League and started their season so early means that to assess them at this point is a bit unfair on Wolves and we need to wait until next season when they both have well both presumably are going to have at least some form of European football to really see what they're made of um yes and no I think we've seen Wolves get back on track when the European football kind of finished and the, the season went on but it is at risk of that obviously when the Europa League kicks back in that they'll get a bit wobbly again like they were at the beginning of the season where they weren't losing but they were just getting draws all the time um, but then at the same time it may be like you're right in saying that maybe next season is the best to compare these two sides which less is doing better but I would say they're overall kind of not near equal foot in there if you were to say at the beginning of the season you would be like Leicester and Wolves are kind of around the same so it is maybe next year when Leicester either have Champions League football or which is what it looks like it's going to have at the moment, or at, le- at minimum European football, uh, Europe League football, and then compare how they both do. It is notable what you said about the draws there, actually, because I have the league table up here, and they have lost both lost six games, but uh, Leicester City have won fifteen, drawn four. Wolves have won eight, drawn eleven. It's the turning draws into wins. And there was an article I read a bit of today, I don't know who wrote or where it was, that was talking about the fact that Wolves have had so many draws. And one thing I did I did consider looking up for the show because I wanted to find out was how many of those were score draws because they have conceded more goals than Wolves, well, and Leicester as well. And I was sort of wondering whether that fit into a pattern, but obviously I didn't have time to. Maybe it, it doesn't. I don't it know. is a worry, I think, with Wolves is that a lot of the players have been looked at. Um, Jimenez, he's 
been on fire this year, so there's looks at him, he may go somewhere. Uh, Ruben Evans is the obvious one, Adama Traore. I think for some reason Leicester's got more of a pull for the players to stay, whereas Wolves, I'm, I'm a bit worried that if they lose a few players, like Yao Martino's 33 now, he's getting, he's getting older, I don't mean, he's around the age where you may start to see a decline. I know his type of style of football isn't as hard running, so you may not see it as drastically, but it is that issue of keeping hold of the players or replacing them and getting squad depth for Wolves. Yeah, I think one thing that does maybe count in their favour is that a very historic club, Yeah, what they've achieved. Actually, I think I've heard the other day that it was Wolves' matches with like Real Madrid and a couple other teams in the 1950s that was the catalyst for the start of the UEFA Cup. Yeah, that's was true. Back then. The European Cup. European Cup, the sorry, whole, yeah. I, the whole premise of the Champions League now is essentially... It comes from Wolves, like you said, being the best team in Europe in in Britain, beating everyone in Britain. They were like, "Well, we need to play everyone in Europe," and they just. I think they must. I think it's, I could be wrong, but I. They played that. I swear they played that Hungarian team, which had Puskas and like. Where it was like that at that time where Hungary was by far the best team in the world, um, they played then like their home team and they so they they were kind of the reason that they I think the European Cup came about. Where it was like we'll get the winners of each league in Europe and play each other. Um, so yeah, they have got a lot of history compared to Leicester, which isn't as really that historic of a club. Um, so, like, I like the idea when I see historic clubs that have a lot of history do well. Like, as much as Leeds is hated, I kind of like the idea of Leeds coming back up because they've got a big history. Uh, the team you're thinking was Budapest Honved FC. That's what I'm yeah. Yeah, they beat that. Yeah, included many members of the Hungarian national team who recently humbled England, which is. I think if you read the um, book Inverting the Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson, he goes into quite a lot of detail about the England-Hungary match in the, I don't know what year it was, in the 950s that sort of was the catalyst for what team went on to go and uh, win the World Cup in 1966, the sort of way that it changed English football. The Hung- I think the Hungarian national team, it's quite sad, it's been forgotten the time because they should have won the World Cup where Germany won their first World Cup but Germany were the underdogs no one expected it I think it was the first World Cup after World War 2 and Germany won it and everyone was like well Hungary like beat Germany nearly like 7-8 no, a few months ago I think that's actually the subject of the person I mentioned Jonathan Wilson he actually wrote a book it's called The Names Forgotten The Names Heard Long Ago yeah. which is actually about the rise and fall of Hungarian football we're not, not yeah. sponsored unfortunately but <laughs> he is a very good writer and I would recommend giving him a quick look got him on the show He's very famous. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's an interesting one with that game. The next game is at the other end of the table, but it is still reasonably interesting, would be Southampton versus Burnley. And, Jules, I think that one of the main talking points from this game is the fact that they're both on 31 points, but the way we perceive them are different, and do you think it's because of their tactical identities? I think so. Um, I mean, Burnley have always kind of been attributed with you know Sean Dyche-esque old school 4-4-2 British football whereas um, well S- Southampton have had a range of, mari- uh, of managers over the year- years but at the moment Hassan Hootel is kind of associated with you know a, like having having a solid defence um, but, but playing you know creative free, uh, free flowing football so I think I think with the, with the form with the form of the Respective strikers as well. It'll be interesting as to who can who can outscore who in this game. Yeah, I think it is the same. Uh, Burnley is kind of seen as a traditional English old-fashioned team, four-four-two. 
Whereas Southampton's got um, Ralph Hasenhutl managing, and he's kind of seen as more that forward-thinking German football. Is it the Alpine Klopp, they call it? Yeah, 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 kind of the idea, like, it just it plays a similar side. So I think there is that kind of thing where Southampton's seen as like a more forward-looking team, whereas Burnley, is English it, players, that's it. It's interesting, though, because you, you, you could arguably say that they, they have similar similar qualities of play it's, it's different if they were playing Liverpool for example that, that have si- probably similar tactics and want g- what you want out of your players but a different calibre of players if that makes sense yeah 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 I guess that realistically it's difficult to not associate Burnley with the type of football you're talking about the sort of industrious sort of long ball merchants if you want to call them that we want, we want to give it a name that starts with B but I don't really want to associate it with it's it's yeah <laughs> it's, we don't want to get political do it's, we? It's nin- it seems like 90s fo- like early kind of Premier League football so I, I just I just realised <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that moment where like Jake just got on we kind of just feel like wait what and then <laughs> yeah I was really confused <laughs> it just reminds me of like you know have you, have you what, any of you watched like clips of early Premier League football kind of like 92 to 99 or kind of like the first five years yeah. where it just you just see a long ball on the top. Yeah, the early Shearer days. Yeah, yeah, Alan Shearer running up, uh, getting his elbows in, had the ball on, and then someone runs around and scores. It's just, that is kind of what I think Burnley is kind of reminiscent. But in a lot of people, in, uh, older and younger people in the sense, like, kind of think of it as that, it's that 90s football where you just kick the ball up. Give the ball up to Chris yeah. Wood and hope for the best. There's an interesting way of, like, long balls are inherently considered that way. Like, it's a diagonal long ball, like, uh, Liverpool play a lot of diagonal long balls but it's the way that the players take them like with uh, Liverpool they're obviously taken down by the player then the players continue whereas at Burnley they knock it down first with their head yeah. and the way- difference in the way those they're per- those two different styles are perceived despite them being ostensibly very similar is always quite fascinating to me I think yeah I think like, Sheffield United have got 21% of of their passes are long balls I was just about to say those stats <laughs> <laughs> it's not really Jake's job but I, I thought, I thought I'd, I'd use some stats yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of but yeah I, I know some people do class Sheffield United or, or English football but if you're like most people who really watch football and really good journalists say it isn't that so it kind of is that thing where it's like, well, long balls can be quite fun to watch if they're done right and they aren't and they're done in the right way, but not like, like you would say, like you like you can't not say that Trent diagonal cross ball against the park is quite fun to watch. I have a question for you guys: If Sheffield United have played the most long balls this season, which team have played the least? Chelsea. Nope. Oh, um, I'm going to Chelsea are seventeenth. Man City. Man City nineteenth. It's actually Man United, interestingly. That's quite interesting, actually. Probably because they don't get the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, I, yeah, possession. What you touched on there was quite interesting. It's, I think it's the manner in which you play a long ball. I, there's some analysis. I don't remember who did it, and I don't know what channel it was on. But they were talking about, I think it was Joe Cole, actually, talking about this Liverpool team. And it was breaking down a long ball that Virgil van Dijk played. And you could see from the moment he released, he, he received the ball, he turned. And at that, spl- at that exact moment, one of their forward players started making a run because they knew exactly what was going to happen. And I think that's the difference between them and Burnley. With Burnley, they're a lot more speculative long balls where you just hoof it on and hope that someone will be there. Whereas yeah. the amount of coaching that goes into what Liverpool do, despite it seeming quite easy on the surface, the fact that all the players have the awareness to know what's going to happen before it's happened is what maybe elevates it to a level where you would perceive it as more tactically advanced, I guess. Yeah, you're not just like kicking up to the big guy up front and hoping that he does something with it. Yeah, so looking at these two teams, 
they are both on 31 points and given the teams below them you'd expect that they would probably be safe but if you were a fan of these teams which team would you rather be supporting like which one do you think is more hope for them to maybe push on and not and finish maybe the top half next season or something I mean you could make a case for okay who's been in the the Premier League longer but Southampton do play the the better attractive football I mean Burnley's brand of football is just it's old it's tired yes it usually keeps you safe in the Premier League it depends how much of but what of what Burnley fans are demanding of, of watching yeah, the club do. It, um, I know they've been invested a lot in their academy, so technically if they get a manager, maybe a bit more possession or party manager in the future with the youngsters coming through, they could train them into more of that type of style of football, which is more common than what Burnley's playing. You would think if Southampton bring in a few players in the summer and a lot more training, that they'll be better off next year because they play a brand of football which is better suited for top flight football, whereas Burnley plays football which is better for promotion from the second flight. It's a Neil Warnock type thing. I know, not like compared to Sean Dyson and Neil Warnock, but Neil Warnock was always kind of seen as he plays kind of that type of football. Mm. Very rugged, very simple football, but he's very they're very efficient and good at it that they get up the leagues. I've actually got a funny story about uh, Neil Warnock as well, about what Leeds fans call him. But I literally cannot say it on this podcast because <laughs> yeah, is it, not? <laughs> it is an anagram of his name. Put it that way. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. Pop it on Twitter, Jake, and people. Well, may I, be I, able I can to tell you that they, they call him Colin. So if you yeah. can work out what the other letters in his name spell, then you can work that out for I yourself. I like the comparison of him and Pep Guardiola. One of did the run that's on YouTube. What is that? It's like you know oh, yeah. him, the yeah, Pep Guardiola. Yeah. 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 Well, that's really years funny. ago when he was managing Sheffield in the mid two thousand, that some I don't know which TV channel did this. But they did something where they filmed him and followed him around, and it was oh, just comparing the clips. Because there's, there's the one, there's the thing that went viral on Twitter where he was talking about that's what happens in London. Yeah, and it was sort of like going, yeah, when you buy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so moving on from that, I think Jules, we said we're not going to have a fantasy football call on this week because unfortunately there was a sort of well, a lot of the games were cancelled, and it's still the same game week, so you can't change your team anyway. Yeah, but just just for for one quick point, I did tell people to to get rid of John Lundstrom prior prior to this game week. I'm sorry if he did because um, he didn't start against Watford. Did they play Watford? Bournemouth. Uh, they played Bournemouth. Bournemouth yeah. He didn't start against Bournemouth, but unfortunately, uh, for those who did get rid, um, he came off the bench and scored and got quite a few bonus points as well. So yeah. I'm sorry if you if you um, if you get rid of him, but I, I, I am in that bracket of people that that did get rid, and I'm quite regretting it now. So just finally for this show, we will we have some Friday night football. We've had some Saturday football, and now we move on to some Monday night football. So, covering your entire weekend this week it is Chelsea versus Manchester United. And as a Chelsea fan, I cannot stress how important this game is. If we lose here, we are in so much trouble. Chelsea really need to qualify for the Champions League for financial reasons. And if we lose to this, we will be just one point ahead of Spurs, and we're playing them next week. Yeah, I was watching a video about that saying that they need to qualify for the Champions League, and. But I feel like I don't know with United they could either beat Chelsea but then at the same time United aren't really doing great either so I think if you look at their performances against the top teams though especially because Chelsea like to have possession and that's playing exactly into uh, Manchester United's wheelhouse like if you gave them the ball they'd be utterly lost and not know what to do with it but as soon as you let them counter attack on you you're in for a world of trouble that is quite funny that as soon as you give them the ball they just don't know what to do it's kind of like the one thing football is like keep control of the ball you can conduct the play and 
Whereas as soon as the other the one, yeah, the one team that does it, you give them a ball and they actually just get worse. Yeah, I can't remember what team it was. I was, I was reading something the other day about a team that they were saying the best way to like play against them was to just give them the ball and let them like try and attack because they just couldn't do it very well. Yeah, but I forget what it was. But it's I th- I feel like I've got my I think Chelsea will win. I don't know why. Just this week, I think uh, I don't know. There's something bad. I just feel like they'll they'll overcome United this time. I think it's also worth noting that Chelsea have lost to United the two times they played them this season as well. They lost them four 0 yeah. on the opening day and two 0 on the League Cup when Rash- when Rashford scored that absolute screamer of a free kick. There's no Rashford this time around though. So yeah, that's very true. I think it'll be third time a charm. I think they'll win. Well, hopefully. And just finally on this game, uh, it will be interesting to see how two relatively inexperienced managers cope with a game that is such what was so important in terms of both of their seasons. United are currently on uh, 35 points, so are six points adrift from Chelsea. But if they win this one, they'll close that to what just just three points. So wait, Man United are on 35 points. Uh, yeah, so well. from relegation. That's only that's only four points I mean, off. Did we, didn't we say Southampton, Burnley were on thirty-one? Uh, yeah, but Burn, Burnley, Newcastle, Southampton, and Arsenal are all on thirty-one points. Wow, this year's been an odd one for like the big clubs. I and then all over the place. Yeah, so Arsenal have half the have less than half. Well, Wolves, Man United have half the amount of points as Liverpool. Slightly less, slightly less than half. And live that's, every day in happiness because of that. Stuff. That is utterly <laughs> crazy. That's a. This is a very bizarre. Well, like Aren't Chelsea closer to bottom place Norwich than they are to top place Liverpool? Uh, doing a bit of mental maths, they're thirty. Oh, t- they're thirty-two points off the top, and they are twenty-three points off the bottom. Yeah. So yeah, you are actually <laughs> entirely correct there, which is a moderately horrifying thought. But then again, you look at Chelsea's form and see that they haven't won. <laughs> like their form has been horrendous since is, the start of this great. year. That's, that's what I was going to kind of ask you about as a Chelsea fan because. Recent news says kind of Hakim Ziyech is going to be has been confirmed by the club that they're going to pay thirty five million from you thirty five yeah. million euros for him. That's again they will come in the summer. If they do get top four, but only just, what's your what do you think they should go forward with Frank Lampard? Do you think they should stick with him and hopefully he just gets better because he'll only be the third season manager of football, or try and get someone like Pochettino or Allegri or just someone who's got a big bet like. Better caliber of like kind of they what of what they managed or um, speaking as a Chelsea fan, I aside from when Jose Mourinho came back, I have never seen Chelsea fans so enthused about a manager. This is something entirely different from the club and nothing like anything I've seen before. And there is absolutely no way, despite anything that could happen this season, that I'll get rid of Frank Lampard. He has brought about such a good feeling to the club and. Even talking about Chelsea now, I feel so much more motivated to watch the games and read about the club because it's just so nice having someone who's been such a massive part of the club, especially as I've grown up, now managing them, that it would be uh, tantamount to sacrilege to his memory as a player to sack him. So I think at least give him a season. Chelsea more likeable as well, from an outside perspective, (laughs) because Chelsea was always kind of seen as a bit of a... They were the original money club and he's kind of made it more likeable but oh, when we were talking about Carl Angelo earlier it just what he reminded me now is that I was reading something or I hear it was on a podcast that apparently when he sacked Carl uh, when Roman Abramovich sacked Carl Angelo he was actually one of his biggest I think his biggest regret at Chelsea as a manager yeah cause as a owner I mean he'd won a, pr- he'd won a double the previous season I think he maybe did they had like 90 points or 90 odd points in it 
100 goals. They had a really bit of brilliant season under him. Yeah, so as we've just reminisced on some good times for Chelsea and Danny called them likeable, I think before <laughs> before we go into anything bad about Chelsea, we'll just end it there. So that just about does it for our show this evening. Uh, remember, you can find us on Spotify and other podcast streaming services by just searching Goals Aloud. You can find me on Twitter, at JakeSandyFC. You can find Danny. Danny Hodges too. You can find Jules. Jules Singh underscore. So as ever, thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. Goodbye from Danny. Goodbye. Goodbye from Jules. Goodbye. And we'll see you back here live on Burn FM next Thursday evening at 9pm.